0: So you see, you see this as, a, and I'll just use the word repentance in your mind. Just as people need to repent and and ask forgiveness, and the the basic Sunday school ten step you know program for repentance, right. you think yes. that maybe institutionally, spiritually, maybe a church needs to go through those steps as well.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Talk Mr. about that church- for a sec. I, I don't think churches are held, exe- or should, should be exempt from that. Churches are reflections of people's, people's interests, um, people's beliefs, and people's values, people's mores, and they should be held to the same standard. If we're requiring individuals to repent for the sins that they commit, we should also hold our institutions accountable. That's called democracy. That's what we call that typically. It's it's kind of a it's kind of a uh, a, a a Christianized democratic. Way of looking at it, but certainly I think that we should hold our institutions accountable for the things they do wrong. And uh, for instance, let me give an example. What about, what about polygamy? The whole polygamy democracy. 1890, polygamy was overturned, the manifesto, right? And did polygamy harm women? Well, we don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe it did. I mean, I don't hear women complaining about it, but certainly there's some probably out there who are complaining about it, but their voices aren't being heard. But let's say, for instance, if women were just as outspoken about polygamy as as you know, people of color seem to be about the priesthood issue, the church should have the church should take responsibility for that and say, you know, that was that was that was the wrong thing to do. So I'm using that, I'm using that as an example. It's probably not a very good example. But I'm using that as an example. Well,
0: I, I have a theory. Let me float you my theory, and and I would love to hear you know if my theory has any validity um, in being plausible why you would reject it. And here's my theory. I, I like to ask people if, if you know, if Gordon B. Hinckley or, you know, Boyd K. Backer or whoever knew that um, there was a decision that needed to be made or, or a step that needed to be taken that would, in reality, seriously harm to destroy the church, but it was the right thing to do, would they do it? And, and how does that relate to what we're talking about? It's simple. They live and breathe by authority. They, um, you know, are God's mantle on the earth. They are prophets, seers, and revelators. They have, um, a direct line, a privileged line of communication with God as, as special witnesses of Christ. This is what's been taught, uh, since the church's inception. It's the it's the primary and, and bedrock of authority um, upon which, you know, the, the church has rested. And, and so to come out and say, you know, our predecessors were wrong, they were flawed, they were just men. What it immediately does is it undermines their present authority. Because immediately, any human with half a brain, as soon as they hear a prophet, serenity, or revelator say, you know, you know that guy back then, Brigham Young, or Joseph Fielding Smith, or Joseph F. Smith? Well, they had it wrong. You know, but trust me, because I've got it right today. Immediately, anyone smart is going to say, you know what? If they can be wrong, you can be wrong. And all of a sudden, that entire claim to authority and power and I don't mean this in a nefarious way. I believe that these men believe that the church is true. I believe that they believe the church is good. And and I don't believe that they're like, you know, there's some sinister plot to hurt people by maintaining the institution. I believe they're sincere good men. But I sincerely think that in their minds, yeah, it may make a few black people happy. You know, there aren't a ton of them around anyway. And yes, making an apology might make a few, bad peop- uh, a few black people happy. Uh, uh, happy. But what's it going to do to the average member? It's going to make them not no longer question all sorts of other statements that are made. and, And all of a sudden, you know, our mantle upon which we rely erodes. And, you know, maybe even the church itself suffers dire consequences as a result. So do you think that's at all plausible? And if, you know, if you do, then how would you respond to that dilemma, where they have to decide: do we harm the church, or do we please Darren and a, and a few others like him?
1: Well, I, I think I think that I want you know the, the comment that you made before when you said that the you know, prophets, seers, and revelators and they receive inspiration, blah blah blah. And I would say, uh, I would add to that, right? When moved upon by the Spirit to do so, I would add that to that last statement that you made. When the when and, and the thing is, is, I have no doubt in my mind that President Hinckley is a prophet. I have no doubt in my mind about that. And, and I think that if President Hinckley really understood, <laughs> excuse me, how problematic this is, this issue is for blacks. I think he would be moved to do the right thing. I don't. I don't. I don't think. I don't think that President getting the President Hinckley is getting getting the information. I don't think he's getting it. I think <laughs> he's not getting it. And that's one of the reasons why nothing's happening. But nevertheless, um, I see your point. I mean, but still two things. This is not a spiritual issue. This is a social issue. And, um, you know, the church has as much responsibility socially as it does spiritually for, for the well-being of its members. And so by basically uh, um, uh, choosing to not address it, not addressing the issue, once again, the ultimate harm then falls on people of color to have to deal with it. Right? And that's a heavy price to pay for, um, uh, you know, for their memberships in the church. Does the church have a responsibility to do it? Does this undermine the credibility and the, and the mantle of the, of the priesthood? Uh, I don't think so, because I don't see it as a spiritual issue. I, I see it very much as a social issue. I don't see this as, a, I don't see this as an eternal truth in the, in the way that we, we know what eternal truths mean, in certain theological, you know, important questions about life before life, life after death, those kinds of things, or temple marriages, I don't see it in that same light, um, you know, as the gospel with quotation marks around it and an exclamation point, but I see it very much as a social manifestation of what churches should do in order to increase, in, in order to, 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 to make its members feel in, inclusive or included in the fold, and there's no... You know, um, misgivings between them, and we haven't done that in our church. We just haven't done
0: it. So, so I can see, and you've made a good, a good case that it's the right thing to do, from a from a moral perspective. Yes. But you're also making the case that you don't think it would harm their mantle or their authority because I don't think so. They could I easily think... position it as a non doctrinal issue. Absolutely. Instead...
1: Absolutely. I mean, I mean, John. I mean, that's the way it's been positioned all along. Is a non-doctrine. I mean, if, remember. I mean, the, the, the actual dictum says this was church policy, not, not revelation, right? And so let's stay with that same line of reasoning, and just go one step further.
0: So one why? Further. Why do you think they don't apologize then?
1: I think because the perceptions of the I think the perceptions of what you indicated in your in your uh, excellent analysis there, John, is exactly the point. I mean, in their minds, I, I, don't, I don't want to think, you know, assume I know any, know what the brethren are thinking, but um, I'm just surmising that from their perspective, perhaps, it's exactly that. This is a very, very touchy issue. If we say something, then it's going to undermine our credibility as, as prophets, seers, and revelators. And, and then, then from then on, you know, the whole, the whole institution will crumble as a result of that. I think, I think that's, I, to me, when I think through this, this, this issue, John, I'm led to that same conclusion. What other reason w- would they not do this? And so, and the thing is, too, is that, and people don't seem to understand, well, you know, Darren and a couple of other black people who have said, isn't that enough? I mean, isn't my pain enough to move you? and to and and to, and to help you to become the kind of spiritual being that you want to be right i mean aren't you supposed to feel my pain and then feel my and, and through my pain right
2: yeah
1: understand yourself better mm-hmm. isn't that what the gospel is all about right i mean isn't that what we teach on any given sunday isn't that what we teach our families isn't that what we isn't that what we are about as members of the church? isn't that what we're going to hear on sunday and on Saturday, in a priesthood session. This is conference weekend. People know that, I hope. <laughs> um, I mean, isn't that what we're going to hear from the pulpit? So why should this be any different than any other issue that is of, that, that is of great importance to the to the well-being of members? Hmm. And that, for me, is, is where the frustration lies. You know? I am not going to defend the church's policy or or mystification about race. I'm not going to do it. But you're also, not, you're, also not, which,
0: you're also not going to let it go away or die. You're going to keep raising it. No, I'm not. Yeah.
1: I'm not going to do it. If someone says, what about your church? I'm going to say, it was racist. It had a racist policy. But I'll also preface it by saying, no more racist than any other church, but we persisted longer than any other church in this issue. And there's a problem with it. Well, why do you stay? How come I got- And people say, well, why do you stay? Like, Like, look, I live in a racist nation, okay? America is racist. It always has been. You think racism went away in 1965? <laughs> no. Racism changed its configuration. Right? If I were going to if if I were to, was so enamored, so pissed off about the racism that that I experienced in in this nation, you know what I would do? I would probably move to Sierra Leone. Right? I'd probably say I'm just tired of it, like so many blacks have done in past times. It just moved. You know, what I can do is try to change my circumstances, John, mm-hmm. try to understand it better, right, in order to make a difference in a positive way and sure. not be constrained by the things that I say and not, and not allow myself to be used or pimped, um, but rather speak the truth. And I think, that, I think that members of the church would want me to do that. They would want me to say, to be a Samuel the Lamanite, right, on the wall. I mean, they would want me to say the things that are important, you know, that need to be said, that will help, if this makes the church better, or if this issue helps move the church forward in terms of its ability to bring more blacks into the faith, then shouldn't, that, shouldn't, we, shouldn't we be asked about that? I mean, isn't our mission to bring in more souls? Into the, into the faith. So
0: let me, Isn't that let me, what our goal is? Let me let me ask you about that. Then you've retained your testimony uh, of, of of Gordon B. Hinckley, of, of prophets, of of the church. How do you explain the fact that this is God's one true and only church on the earth? Yet, and and that God has a direct line of communication with our prophet. Yet, you know, we were ten to fifteen years late to the party in terms of, uh, you know, accepting blacks into full fellowship. Uh, on, we, we oppose civil rights. And, you know, today, you know, the brethren still haven't apologized. So how do you reconcile your belief in the divine origins and that direct line of, line of communication with the prophets, your belief that God isn't a racist, that, that this wasn't church doctrine, and the fact that, you know, we're either really slow or, or refusing to do the right thing?
1: Well, I think I think we're caught up in in the you know we're caught up in the, in, in our times. I think that there are, there are certain forces that are at work that are moving that sort of took its place, if you will, and created these kinds of tensions within the church. For instance, you've got you know unfortunately you have um, a, a kind of mentality that persists within Utah in particular and and amongst a lot of the you know a lot of people. I mean Utah is very Republican, and I and I'm not going to attack the Republicans, but but there is a very there's a very specific way of seeing the world through a republican through republican Okay, wait, ideas.
0: wait, wait. You're giving me sort of a socioeconomic analysis or let, cultural analysis. Okay, 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 okay.
1: And the same thing is true when you look at Democrats. Same kind of a thing. So it's not just Republicans but also Democrats. Right. But I think that for me, John, the way that I reconcile this in my own head is that the truths that have been taught by prophets of the church, preceding prophets, and up to the present day, up to President Hinckley, are eternal. I mean, the church answers questions about very important matters, spiritual matters, temple marriages, the notion of family, life after life, life before life, the nature and disposition of God. These are the kind of questions that no other faith can answer, for me. I might ask someone of Someone else it might be different, but for me, this church answers those questions in ways that are that are absolutely uh, uh, consistent with with I think at least the way I, the way I interpret uh, scripture, not just the Bible, but you know our present day scriptures. First of all, so I see that as absolutely the case. Now, does that mean that these men are, you know can be flawed in other ways in the ways in which they see the world? Absolutely, yes. And what that demonstrates to me is the complexity of, right, I mean, it demonstrates beautifully the complexity of the human condition, right, that you can be one thing and yet be another, but yet be very focused on in one direction, right. I don't discount the brethren's um, spiritual, uh, you know, spiritual guidance because I see them as being somehow racist or whatever. And I, I guess I'll say this. Can I be controversial again? <laughs> you know I'm going to be anyway. Um, I'll, just say it. I'll just say this. I believe all white people are racist, John. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I believe that they're racist not because they're out there burning crosses on people's lawns, but because white people have a, high, a whole lot of white privilege that they get to cash in every day. They can, they can walk through a store and don't have to worry about being followed. They don't have to worry about being pulled over because they're black or brown, right? They can go to high school Every day, right, and have the curriculum pretty much testified to the existence of white people, and have one, or, you know, maybe one or two chapters that deal with black people or Native Americans, right? You can go into a store and find food and hair products, right, that represent f- white people, even band aids are flesh-colored, tone, flesh-tone colored, right? I mean, white people have a lot of privileges, so they're racist because their race. Right, and I'm saying race, I'm using race for lack of a better word. There's a better word there. Because they receive benefits in a racist society. That's why. Not because they're out there burning crosses on people's yards and right. stuff like that. Uh, but there's something called systemic racism. And when white people own that, John, when they own that, that's when we can start to change things. But you, but you said something very compelling Earlier, and I hope your listeners caught that. You said so. Then the changes then that the brethren need to make are moral changes. That's so profound, and it's very important because I think you hit it right on the head, John. What incentive do white people have to change? What incentive do they have? Moral. That's the only incentive they have to change. Is a moral incentive. Will have whites changed morally? Well, you can. Some can argue yes. They, some can argue yes. They have, but they've also backtracked a lot too. So change only occurs, civil change, right? When when that change directly benefits white people. If whites are benefited from the change, then change will happen. Mm-hmm. If there's no if there's no benefit to whites, there's no change. Right. So what's the benefit to whites to change to, to to come out and state to make a statement about this issue about blacks? How does how does that benefit whites? Right. I mean, I mean, is there a benefit other than a moral benefit? And a psychological benefit. Is there enough? In fact, uh, Ro- uh, a guy named David Rodiger and a guy named, uh, uh, a little unknown guy named W.E.B. Du Bois, talks about a psychological wage, right? That racism provides a psychological wage, a one upmanship, if you will, even if it's subconsciously, uh, you know, working at the subconscious level, that whites have to, can always endure or cash in. And it's true. So, but but is there a material benefit from making this change? Well, the material benefit, if you look at it in terms of raw numbers, is bringing more blacks into the church and bringing, bringing more blacks into church is it going to help increase the tithing pool, depending on what kind of blacks you bring in, right? Or
0: um, or, uh, or new areas of growth, membership growth when other areas might be stagnating. That's right.
1: Yeah. So if you look at it economically that way, and, and you have to look at and and uh, I mean I'm not I'm not saying that. Just for the fact, just to say that, yeah, economically it's going to be more. No, I'm just using it as an example. There's got to be some kind of a benefit in order for change to happen. That's the way it's been historically. Right. Um, you know, uh, and that's beyond the scope of this discussion. But, but um, moral changes, whites have been very slow to move on moral changes and to stick with them because it hasn't benefited them.
0: Right. Do, do you ever? You know, but do you ever spiritually? Shake your head or shake your fist at God and say, no, Now, God, I'm, I'm in your church. I've never. followed your word. Why are you allowing the church that I hold most dear to to be so slow or, you know? Never. Why? Never.
1: I've never done that, John, because I'm not going to use God as a scapegoat for white racism. I fully hold white people responsible for this. God has nothing to do with it. It's the way in which God gets interp- interpreted by white people.
0: What about through, through get, allowing, what about through allowing it to happen?
1: Well, I mean, I don't think God, I, I, I mean, I think that God allows us to work out our own, our own salvation. I mean, he says that, right? I mean, I mean, it's the nature and disposition of man to work out their own salvation. Working out, we work out our own salvation.
0: So free, right? free agency. Means,
1: yeah. Agency is, is certainly a part of that, 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 that working process. And so we have to work this out, John. And then God will smile on us once we, once we finish the fight. He'll smile on us then. You know, well, I think there's been moments when God has intervened in certain circumstances, but um, but I think in in terms of this issue, I think he's he's waiting on us to to get. I mean, does, does it surprise anybody? People are always surprised when they when they recant the story about President Kimball. He went to the he went to the temple, the upper room. He prayed, right. And the God and the Lord said, "Yeah." The Lord probably would have said, "Yeah," a hell of a lot longer, uh, sooner than that, <laughs> right? If 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 the if the right people had, a, had done the right thing and asked the Lord and asked the Lord for remember, uh, prayer 101. you ask the Lord to confirm the decision that you make, right? right. You don't ask the Lord to give you to give you a sign. You ask the Lord, you make a decision, and you pray for confirmation. Right. Now, that's what you do. Now, President Hinckley made a, he made a, he made a decision. Kimball. Excuse me, I'm sorry.
0: Yeah. No, 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 yeah. that's good.
1: President Kimball made a decision. Well, President Hinkley made a decision, too. Several decisions. I don't know what they were, but I'm sure he received confirmation.
0: Right.
1: I'm covering my tracks when I did that job. No, that's good. Now, now, to
0: be fair, Dave, David O. McKay is reported to have have stated on several occasions that he did ask the question and got a clear and distinct not yet. And I've heard some people theorize that if that is the case, now I I could hear you saying that he maybe wasn't listening correctly, which is possible. Prophets aren't perfect. Mm -hmm. But I've also heard people theorize that if blacks, if the priesthood was withheld from blacks, it was because of the white man's unworthiness, not not the black man.
1: Yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that.
0: But then is that that reverse racism then?
1: No, because, of course, reverse racism means what? It means reverse power, right, that black people have power. We don't have any power. Right. You, can't be, you can't have reverse racism because racism is about power. But who controls the means, economic means of production? Who controls access to XYZ? Blacks have not had that kind of systemic power. So how can blacks be ra- have reverse racism? Sure, No such thing. It doesn't exist. But that's the way that best, But that's the discourse that a lot of whites have used in order to silence black people. Right. or in order to cry foul, right, so, when the evidence doesn't support that.
0: Right. So so tell us about uh, the fateful day when you found out you weren't going to be employed at BYU anymore.
1: Um, I, was, I was, I mean, I, I, I anticipated it happening at some point in time, but I was a little bit disappointed. I was disappointed because I, I had not heard anything, I had, I had not heard anything for two years mm-hmm. about it. And I, I said to myself, you know what, BYU is okay they're okay,
0: they're hmm. okay with this, you thought you were you safe,
1: know? yeah, but I was you know I thought the yeah, end you know I'm okay, you know no one's going to call me on it, and sure enough, I got called
0: what happened tell us so 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 about the day tell us about the day here you know
1: well, the day i was I was actually in l a in LA, Los Angeles when and they emailed me. can you believe that the the employment office emailed me and said that I couldn't teach my class anymore. When I emailed them back to inquire as to why, they said, "We can't tell you. We don't know why." Mm-hmm. So I dug a little bit deeper and found out that the email that the decision had came from this guy named Richard Williams. And Richard Williams is a henchman for the for the administration. He's only doing his job. Mm-hmm. You know, he's doing. You know, they they you know they itch, he scratches. Right. I mean, that's kind of how it. That's kind of how it works. Mm-hmm. I don't hold anybody. I don't hold anybody personally accountable for anything there. I mean, I just, I just, it just, to me, it's just, it's a sad commentary about the links that people will do to silence people, to Mm. keep people silent, right? And to not allow the kind of discourse that needs to happen in order to make effective change. Getting rid of me is not going to make this issue go away. Sure. It's going to still be there. It's never going to go away until they actually do something about it. I'm not the only one in this fight,
2: sure, John.
1: Sure. You know, John, you're in this fight. It, right. may, it may be a different way. You know, Darius Gray and Margaret Young are in this fight. Right. You know, Richard, there are others out there. Richard who are, who, are, who are engaged in this. Uh, Helmet is engaged in this fight. There's sure. a ton of people who are out there doing this. It's not just Darren. So silencing Darren is not going to make things. Uh, you know, go away. Now, it might be more problematic because there it happens to be black. And so that, that really indicts BYU. Okay, they fired this black guy for that, and he's black, and he's calling on his church to apologize for the treatment of blacks, and they fire him. Okay, that wait, wait. So
0: tell us how you know that that was the cause of the firing. You got the email. Hey, no, he told out.
1: Richard Williams... Set me in his office and told me.
0: So you asked for an interview with him or whatever. Yes,
1: I made an appointment to go meet with the guy. Okay. And okay. he says to me, the brethren are upset at you, or disappointed, or upset, or something. Don't remember exactly what his words were because um, of the things that you've been saying. Hmm. And I said, if, and I said, well, if what I have said is is incorrect, then tell me what I said. And first of all, who is the brethren? What brethren are you you talking about? The brethren with the big B or the brethren with the little B, like people like you and other people around here? Uh Who are you talking about? He couldn't tell me that. Uh So he literally told me that's the reason. Uh Then he says, well, why do you do it? Why do you do it? I said, well, why why wouldn't I do it? (laughs) Why wouldn't I want to talk about my own humanity, John? Uh Sure. You know? I mean, why wouldn't I want to talk about my own humanity? And why wouldn't you want to be supportive of it? And he goes, well, the sociological theories of men will get us in trouble. (laughs) Because as a a psychologist, I've had to give up those things. I said, well, that's the choice you've made, Richard. That's not the choice I've made. Mm -hmm. This is much more personal to me than it ever would be to you. Then I asked him a very interesting question. I said, so what you're telling me is that black people then should, should just basically wait until the brethren give us some more word on this. And at the same time, bear the brunt of bear the bur- burden for racism. You know, what he told me. He said, "Yes." <laughs> That's what he told me. Yes. <laughs> I was absolutely shocked when I heard. When I, I mean, I, 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 you know, I, I'm used to hearing these kinds of things come out of people's mouths, but I have to admit, sometimes it, it does take my breath away. Right. True. So, and I thought to myself, well, you know, it's BYU's loss. Hmm. They're lost. and if they, ever, if they ever ask me to come back there again, it'll be a cold day in hell. Right? Because I won't work under that. I won't. I won't work under that kind of pressure. That I'm going to be, you know, censored on things that I say. I, I don't operate like that. You so, can call me Jay Golden Kimball
0: <laughs> So, did you appeal? I mean, you have Christensen as a as a friend. How'd you? Well yeah,
1: well, yeah, Elder Christopherson.
0: Sorry, um, Elder Christopherson.
1: That's okay. I got you. I, I caught you in your words, now, John. <laughs> um, I mean, Elder Christopherson actually went and spoke to John. Oh, excuse me, Richard Williams and uh, Tanner, John Tanner, and I think President Samuelson. And he came to me, and actually, Elder Christopherson, to his credit, came to my house and visited with me. And I mean, this is a nice guy. I mean, this is a guy. I tell you, I love this guy. Okay. If anybody ever says anything bad about Elder Christopherson, it's going to be me, me and them. Right, um, he came to visit me and said to me that he had he spoke to him and that he didn't see he didn't see any problems as to where they would never have me back there again teaching there again, but that he encouraged me to go on and he said the church needs me they need you we need you you
0: know so he encouraged you. And, uh, so, so you're, do you think this was a, a First Presidency thing, a Quorum of the Twelve thing, I don't uh, know. First I Quorum like of the like Seventy 20. thing, or was this just Not a the, BYU I, administration I thing? Think,
1: I think it was the Board of Trustees, the BYU Board of Trustees, which Elder Packer sits on.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I think it was, that, it was at that level hmm. that this came down. I, I mean, I don't know for sure. Right. <laughs> I'm only surmising, but I think it was at, at that level that this whole thing happened.
0: But are you, I mean, you did go to the U so that you could go back to the Y. Are you, do you feel saddened or disappointed?
1: Yeah, I do, because I think that BYU needs me. They need me. And uh, I don't mean that, uh, I hope your listeners don't take this wrong. I don't mean that in a negative way that I'm trying to say I'm off the chain, I'm really great and all that. But I think they need people like me teaching on that campus because I think I bring something special to the to, to the discussion. About a a number of things, and our students are our students typically come out of BYU extraordinarily ignorant about race. Remember, BYU is a very upper middle class church, white upper middle class church, and so most of our students don't really hang around people of color. If they do, it's usually a token black person, a token Asian, or token here and there. So, and they're people who typically are like them, socioeconomically speaking, and and in terms of ideology and so on. So. So um, to have someone like me, who's a, who's a devout believer, yet I have a very different way of seeing the world, is is a, is, is we call it academic freedom. We call it having a diverse perspective.
2: You right. know,
1: and those are the things that are important, I think, in terms. But those those things are are the recipe for a good education. Sure. Having a good education, and I think that these kids are are they're they're being sold short because we because remember BYU we can only we, first of all we can only hire. Faculty. I mean, people who are LDS. So we're going to limit the pool in terms of uh, qualified uh, applicants of color, just 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 by saying that you're going to be LDS. How many LDS people of color want to teach at BYU?
0: But there are there are non LDS faculty, right? This is rare.
1: But, but but yeah, but they won't hire them there. I mean, there, there's a prohibition on hiring non LDS faculty. Really? Yeah. You can only hire. LDS faculty at BYU, unless you have an absolute uh, uh, critical critical uh, position in an area where you can't find anybody, so mm-hmm. then you can bring somebody non-LDS in. But who, but who would want to come?
0: Right. So where are you today? T- tell us how you're feeling today and, and what your future looks like.
1: Well, I'm going to finish up my PhD, and then I'm going to try to find some employment somewhere, try to find someone who wants to hire me to teach
0: in the field of
1: anyone knows, I'm looking for jobs anyone knows <laughs> of any any good things out there let me know what's your you field know?
0: What what's your interest in field
1: well I, I, my area is, is cultural studies I study race representation gender uh, class economics school issues issues in higher education um, those are the areas I'm looking at I also do some stuff in film film studies So um, my 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 degree is is um, it's the department of education, culture, and society. So that covers quite a bit. So we, um, but I've I've chosen to focus my interest in in representation, the way in which people get, you know, the way in which people uh, are um, constructed Mm -hmm. by discourse. Right. So that's kind of what I do, and uh, you know, but again, I don't have any bitterness toward BYU at all. Hmm. I don't.
0: That's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, I, I really don't. I mean, I don't, because I have had a tremendous experience there. I really have. I mean, honestly, I, I have had a very good experience there. I mean, just, I mean BYU, the students I've taught at BYU, to be honest, are, are probably more open-minded than most kids that I've taught. If you can believe that, that's, and I'm serious when I say that. Hmm. The, most, the most closed-minded students I've ever had, that, that I've ever taught in Utah, state of Utah, has been at UVSC, Utah Valley State College. I mean, it shouldn't surprise anybody. Remember the Big Michael Moore controversy, right. Sean Hannity controversy down at Utah Valley. Sure. Yeah, that's by far the most conservative school. It's a public. It's a public institution. In that, that. But I, I've been able to get away with a lot of stuff at BYU to be very candid, very open, and students have been very responsive to it. To tell you the truth, and the kids are a very, a very, are much more prepared academically. Than, um, than you know, most schools that I've taught at as well. So I've had just a tremendous experience there. The students have been fabulous. It's the administration, is where the problems are. Right. The the policemen. Right. And policewomen.
0: And so you 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 do see yourself uh, staying active and strong in the church.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. It, 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 look, y'all ain't gonna drive y'all ain't gonna drive me out. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. <laughs>
0: And what's let's and just, quit
1: trying to and quit trying to drive me out. I'm not going anywhere.
0: <laughs> and if you had to end with sort of your your dream or hope for the future of the church as it relates to blacks, how how paint us a vision for what you'd like to see happen in the church in the next ten to fifty years, let's say.
1: More people of color in those red seats twice a year. More bishops bishops take presidents of color. More women of color who are Relief Society Presidents, Sunday School Presidents, and, and other important leadership at the local level. Um, um, a relaxing of um, the way in which we conduct our services, so so they're not so Protestant, traditional Protestant-oriented, but allowing each local, each local branch and, and local stake to have flexibility over how they conduct their services. If they're in a predominantly black area, and blacks want to have... More spirituals, Negro spirituals, and stuff, um, and the kind of you know, in the kind of tradition that they're used to, then allow that—that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, President Hinckley finally listening listening to Gladys Knight and letting her redo the hymn book, mm. so that it in, incorporates a lot of that kind of stuff in it.
0: She wants to do that.
1: Yeah, she's oh. a she's a, she's a, um, approached him about changing the hymns. And I I would be in favor for that. Favor of that. Mm. Maybe you know it certainly would it certainly would put our white members to, and uh, make them uncomfortable because they're not used to clapping in church and and uh, saying amen and signifying. Right.
2: They're not
1: used to that, so that would be a good thing. Um, let me see. So I think we ought. To, I think one of the things we ought to be thinking about doing too is having a sensitivity classes in our church, talking about race, openly talking about it. Mm-hmm. We're mm-hmm. global church, John. Right. We we mm-hmm. can't afford not to talk about race. Right. You know, we we can't afford to. The the majority of growth of the church, as you know, is outside the United States, and it's in primarily black and brown nations. Mm-hmm. You know, so we have to really start talking about this honestly. <clears throat> if we do that, I think we have a chance. Mm-hmm. But I want you to know I love the church. I went to church on Sunday here in, um, in Alabama and just loved it. I mean, I love it. I mean, I was so... I was feeling the spirit. I mean, I was feeling it. I was like, man, this is great. I mean... And it's, it really helped me. And again, I had one of those, you know, uh oh moments where I was like, uh oh, I'm so, you know, I'm so glad that I, I, I joined. I did what I, I did what I did in the 1981. Right. I'm glad. I'm grateful for it. Right. And um, and I know that the Lord expects a lot of me. I've been giving a lot of a lot of blessings. And so one of the, one of the things He expects of me is is expects of me is not to be. You know, not to lay down and and and, and let and, and let y'all dictate, you know, uh, and try to silence me. And so I'm not going to do that. And, and and when I say y'all, don't take it personal. I'm talking about <laughs> white folks as a group. I don't. I don't. Okay.
0: Um, although I take it personally, and that I want to help. Um,
1: oh, I know. I want to help and, make and, those and, changes. Uh, well, I appreciate this podcast. This has been this has been fabulous. It's and, been long too.
0: Oh yeah, we're up to like two and a half hours. So. um... Oh. So, what about an apology? you know what would you like that How would you like you know do you expect paint us the picture of what type of apology to not only the words but the setting you know how would you like that to go down?
1: Well, I'm not exactly sure what what it would look like, but I think that you know I would like like to see it from the pulpit uh, during general conference. Uh, President Hankley or someone get up and say this is a this has been a long time coming, but you know we've you know we've had. Numerous reports from members across the country, uh, you know, in the world about the continuation of, of uh, uh, folklore about our black brothers and sisters, and we want to, you know, we want to say that such statements and 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 ideas are inappropriate with teaching the teaching of the gospel, and that we, as a presidency, do not support or condone any teachings that um, denigrate our black brothers and sisters, and we want and we know that there's there's been. A past, a past pattern of that, and we want to apologize for it. So that's that's what I'd like to hear—an apology. Mhm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Darren Smith, I just want to thank you uh, so much for taking the time and enduring all my interruptions for telling uh, us your story.
1: Hey, John. Anytime. I mean, I, in fact, I think you're. Your quote unquote interruptions were are
0: very appropriate <laughs>
1: and very important because you were good at sort of taking me forward and, and you know because I get off, I have tendency to get off track so you were very helpful at putting me back on track so and I, and I hope that your, your listeners John, will take what I'm saying in the spirit that it was it was intended and um, and recognize that I don't hate white people sure. I mean, I don't. I mean, uh, you know, I'm married to a white person. I'm not, I don't hate white people at all. Um, but I think that whites as a group have got to do some work, and they've not done that kind of serious work yet. Um, and remember, the Civil Rights Movement was not necessarily a white movement. But it was a Jewish white movement. Yeah. White Jews took responsibility for the Civil Rights Movement. So now our, our European, Northern European brothers and sisters... Have to step up the plate a little bit and, and do some things, and I hope and I hope that they will. I hope that people will be moved to 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 help. And how can how can you help? You're asking the question, "What can I do to help?" Start writing letters. Write letters to the first presidency, explaining that this is this issue cannot go on. Hmm. Talk to your bishops and state presidents. When you teach Sunday school, teach a lesson about this issue. I,
0: I've um, I've actually you know, done I, you can do. I actually did that. Um, I've actually done that.
1: See, that be maybe you could do a podcast, John, on on what what are the essential ingre- ingredients of teaching a class about this, and that might be a great podcast. That should
0: be your that should be your podcast. We'll, we'll, <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll, about, we'll bring you back.
1: We, we could do a joint one. Okay, um, you know, uh, teaching about uh, you know teaching about controversial issues and the, and the importance of open dialogue. You know but that's important in our church. We you know we need to have those kinds of moments in our church. You know, and 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 letting people know that you can have, you can you can you can be, you can have a uh, you know an opinion that's outside of mainstream, um, but that that doesn't mean that you're not you know that you don't you know you you're a non-believer. Right. I mean, I know people are, have gotten ingrained in their minds, Sean, that when you don't when you disagree with the brethren or disagree with church leaders, you're an anti-Mormon. Well, I want to set the record straight. I'm not an anti-Mormon. So anybody tries to tell me such you know um you're wrong you're flatly wrong mm-hmm. so um but i'm i'm a mormon who's very concerned about the future of the church and who wants so desperately to see more blacks participate and i just know we're scaring a lot of folks away right um and i i know and i know that we can be better right. so you know i know that we can do better and i'm just trying to help in that process so i i want people to if i have offended you then i'm sorry you've been offended but i hope that you've learned something in the process sure so I'll leave it at that,
0: John. Well, Darren Smith, thank you again. Thank you so much for coming on Mormon Stories. Thank you. Um, we'll uh, we'll make sure and put a blog posting up, and we'll invite our listeners if you want to, you know, send Darren an email or, or put a post up there about your reactions, your thoughts, if you have further questions for Darren, if you want to, you know, help out and see what you can do. We'll probably get some information up there on, you know, further steps. But please visit us at, at www.mormonstories.org to participate in this conversation. Uh, feel free to send an email if you want. Um, but uh, just more than anything, we just uh, thank you all for listening, for tuning in. Again, thanks thanks to Darren for coming on and for Helmut to, uh, for facilitating this uh, podcast as well. Thanks again, and um, we'll I- see you I- guys. I-
1: before you go off, I failed to mention this real quick. I'm sorry to interrupt. But um, also, if if anyone's interested, please watch um, PBS Sunday at one o'clock in Utah KUED. There's a show called Religion and Ethics, and I'll be on that show talking about this stuff uh, more. So, if anyone gets any time, please tune into that. If not, go to my website, uh, www.darensmith.com, and make comments or whatever. Um, don't be rude, though. Be nice.
0: <laughs>
1: um, and uh, let's have some dialogue if you need to. But thank you again. Uh, all
0: right. Yeah, appreciate it. All right, Darren. Thanks again. Thanks, right. y'all, for listening. And we'll uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Okay. Bye.
2: dream.